This is the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. This is where it all counts. This is why we're here. This is why each one of us are here. And now, here's your host. Welcome back to another edition of the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. I am Paul Pertichese, and thank you for joining me as always. Week one of the NFL is in the books. Two weeks of college football is in the books. And here at Saturday, Sunday, we are excited that football is back. Break down the college game and check in on the NFL rookies as we always do. We are officially now in season mode, which means if you have been longtime listeners, you kind of know the setup here of what our season shows look like. You know, this is version one or episode one of the 2021 NFL draft report. So during the season, our real focus kind of breaks down our episodes into, you know, four different parts. We take a look back, you know, at what's transpired, you know, recently in the NFL draft stock report talk about draft eligible prospects, you know, what we saw this past weekend, anything that stood out. Then we take a look at a handful of underclassmen from this past weekend in the Devi slant. Then we take a look at a tail of the tape, a look forward to one or two matchups of some, whether it's, you know, prospects in an individual game or individual prospects in their matchups, you know, in the upcoming week. And then we round it out with the NFL rookie report where we check in on last year's rookie class from the 2020 class that we talked so much about and covered it wire to wire. We like to kind of check in on them. So that's kind of the, that's kind of the setup of our season shows. Now it might be a little bit different this year. You know, obviously not as many college football games going on right now. Still waiting word on the Big Ten and the Pac 12. You know, no, you know, everything's interconference for the most part. So, you know, there could be some things that we look at a little bit more in terms of the NFL. You know, maybe we branch out some weeks and look at some second year guys, you know, or do a little bit of a dynasty stock report on some young players, you know, and also we're going to revisit our tiers. You know, there's just not going to be as much to talk about, you know, based on what transpired the week before possibly, because, you know, if, you know, like this past week, if, if Trevor Lawrence is beating up on guys, you know, that are really not NFL caliber teams, you know, there's not a lot to talk about there. So, you know, we're going to recap kind of what we saw this past weekend and what stood out, but we're really also going to revisit our tiers, revisit our, you know, our ranks, you know, obviously more film becomes available that we continue to watch even from past years as well. In addition to new film from this year also. So that's kind of the setup of the show the next series of premium notebooks will launch next week. There'll be a small bonus podcast kind of talking about the release of the premium notebooks for the new season. Obviously, you get the scouting notebook with all our film analysis, everything in that. You get the rankings notebook, which has all our different types of rankings and tiers. And you get the NFL draft projections notebook as well, which has everything you need to know on every single offensive and defensive prospect as we try to predict exactly how it's going to unfold, you know, on draft weekend for 2021 based on everything we're reading, hearing, and listening to. So more details on that. If you have not 
you know, if you've been a long time listener and have not checked out the notebooks, you know, we really, you know, recommend you giving it a try. It really does help us. It's the lifeblood of continuing to do what we do here at Saturday to Sunday. And it's just a one-time small fee of $9.99 and the amount of material you get for just that one-time fee uh, for each year is a tremendous amount of content that we do think that you will find helpful and beneficial during the college football season, during the pre-draft months, after the draft, and so on and so forth for your Devi leagues, your dynasty leagues, and just NFL draft knowledge in you know, in general, we hope that you uh, consider purchasing it because, uh, you know, it is like I said, the lifeblood of what allows us to keep doing what we do here. So let's get right into it and let's do the NFL draft report, you know, where again, a little bit of a stock report in terms of, you know, what is transpiring on Saturdays in the collegiate game. And then we'll go from there. I do want to, you know, go back to week one because last week we were finishing up the positional preview shows. The only thing that I, that I thought stood out in week one was SMU quarterback Shane Bichelle was 26 of 36, 367 yards, one touchdown, but two interceptions. You know, we talked about him in, in the quarterback positional preview shows, you know, and, and for me, you know, Bichelle was a guy when, when he went to Texas years ago that I was very intrigued by but it just never kind of materialized there you know in my preseason rankings I had him as my 15th ranked draft eligible quarterback I don't think there's going to be a lot that can change this year you know he does some things well you know but I I think he's a a little bit limited in terms of he's not going to do much with his legs or his athleticism so I think he's a little bit of a limited player I don't see a lot transpiring that's really going to be able to improve his draft stock I think he is who he is as probably a late day three or UDFA type prospect if we take this to week two Okay. And a couple things that stood out. I'm just going to go by teams for this episode. You know, once we get, you know, more teams playing on a regular basis, once we get the SEC in there and other teams, uh, you know, it'll be a little bit more different. I'll go back to the traditional, you know, doing it by quarterbacks, running backs, wide receivers and tight ends. But until we get a little bit more, uh, you know, clarity in terms of what's going on with the Big Ten, what's going on with the Pac 12. And, and once we get more teams playing, then I'll go back to the more traditional approach uh, in terms of how we usually do these season in in season shows. A couple things that stood out when when reviewing the Miami game, Dury King, you know, formerly of Houston, he was a guy that last summer I was very intrigued by and high on. Obviously, got injured, missed last year, transferred from Houston to Miami. He was 15 of 23 this week, 141 yards and one touchdown, added 83 yards rushing. Listen. The NFL has changed in terms of the style of play. Now, I don't know if, you know, when I watched Dory King before last season, I thought he had a chance to be, you know, an early day three prospect, you know, and the team could potentially look at him as an intriguing backup, a guy who, if he was called upon, could really add a different dynamic. You know, I, we looked at teams, you know, like uh, Seattle and thought maybe he'd be the, the, prototypical, you know, backup to, you know, Russell Wilson or other teams that really, you know, now maybe Kyler Murray, like teams that really, you know, move the quarterback around a lot, you know, ask them to do some running. It's became a bigger, you know, bigger part of the NFL game now. 
So I'm still in kind of intrigued. I think the Reed King's probably going to end up getting drafted down the line as an athlete, you know, and be a guy that could maybe impact the game in a variety of ways. Uh, so it'll, it'll be interesting to see what the NFL thinks in terms of his quarterback skills, if they think he can play that at the next level. Another guy in that game I want to talk about was Brevin Jordan. Three catches, 51 yards, and one touchdown. I mean, one of the premier tight ends in the upcoming draft class. You know, some people have him as their number one tight end. I have him at number three, and I do have him, you know, while I do think there's a little bit of a separation between Kyle Pitts, Pat Fryermuth, and Brevin Jordan. Right now, I think Pitts and Fryermuth are round one talents, and I think Brevin Jordan is more of top 10 to 15, you know, picks in the second round. So I do think there's a little bit of a separation and differentiation. I think there's some things about Brevin Jordan's game that he still needs to clean up. He's got to refine his route running. You know, he's got to, he's got to do some other things that, and I just want to kind of see a better statistical season from him and him really dominate. So I'll be keeping a close eye on Brevin Jordan. A couple of UNC wide receivers who we talked a lot about in the positional preview shows, uh, Diami Brown this past week, six catches, 94 yards. Daz Newsome, two catches, 25 yards. Now, these are two guys that, you know, I had Daz Newsome number 15 in my preseason rankings, and I had Diami Brown at number 17. They're, they're different style players. Daz Newsome is going to be more that guy inside in the slot, you know, does things after the catch, undersized, but, you know, a guy who's going to use that quickness, that, you know, separation ability, you know, the yak ability to make things happen while, while Diami Brown is more of a, you know, a bigger threat on the outside, going to win vertically down the field, use his size and his frame, you know, to his advantage to try to win there. So this week, Diamond Brown was, was a clear, better, you know, player in terms of production. But I still think Daz Newsom is, is an intriguing player. I think both of these guys are probably day three guys, you know, round four, round five guys. Uh, but it's possible, you know, they could push their way up a little bit depending on, you know, who ends up coming out and stuff like that. But I, I do think both of these guys are intriguing guys to get drafted, you know, somewhat, you know, early on day three. Next up I want to talk about is Iowa State and and mostly because, you know, Brock Purdy. I mean, this is a guy who was getting a lot of hype in the preseason. For me, he was my number five ranked tight end. I mean, tight end. He was my number five ranked quarterback. Uh, heading into this season in terms of draft eligible products. And this past week against UL Lafayette, he was 16 of 35, you know, for 145 yards, you know, really, really poor game by Purdy. I mean, he added 35 yards rushing. He does have that element, you know, to be impactful in the rushing game. But I mean, against, you know, Lafayette, I mean, this is a guy, this is a game that he really should be dominating. You know, very concerning performance by Brock Purdy. I don't think it, you know, it doesn't change the narrative that he's an intriguing prospect, but this is the kind of game that's going to linger in terms of, you know, it's not just the stat line that was bad. He he just didn't look good in this game either. So this is going to be an interesting one to kind of see how he rebounds because, you know, there was, there were people who even had him higher than me and, and thought he could be a first round quarterback. You know, I thought he was more of a day two type guy, you know, Round two, round three, you know, he intrigued me. I only think the big three should go in round one, you know, and then I kind of had Brock Purdy in that group with Jamie Newman and Desmond Ritter as possible day two picks. But poor start for for Brock Purdy, and he's really going to have to bounce back from this because, you know, to put up that production, if it was against a big-time team, I think people would kind of give him a pass. 
to do it against UL Lafayette, I think is very eye-opening and a little bit concerning. If we keep this going, a couple other quarterbacks I want to talk about. Uh, next up is Ian Book out of Notre Dame. He was 19 of 31 this past week, 263 yards, one touchdown and one intercept. And listen, I think at this point, I think Book is who he is. I don't expect a major significant change in terms of my evaluation on Ian Book. He was one spot ahead of Shane Bichelle, who I talked about before. You know, Ian Book is number 14. I think they're I think they're pretty similar players, to be honest with you. Uh, I think Book is a little bit more athletic, but in terms of their passing acumen, I think it's pretty similar. You know, like I said, Ian Book is, you know, doing it against better opponents and he's got more athleticism to make an impact, you know, with his legs and get out on the, you know, out of the pocket and, and make some plays happen, you know, throwing on the run and running himself. But I think Book is, you know, again, another guy, you know, late day free, priority free agent. I don't see a lot changing. You know, obviously the, you know, Notre Dame and the spotlight that that brings, if he played well in some big games, could it potentially move the needle a little bit and move him up a little bit draft boards? I think it's possible, but I have a hard time seeing him as, you know, not a fifth, sixth or seventh round pick. And I'd lean a little bit more towards the back of the draft than I would, you know, the earlier part of day three right now. Next up, I want to talk about Oklahoma wide receiver, uh, Charleston Rambo this past week, four catches for 80 yards. Rambo's an interesting player. You know, he's a little bit down on my list. He's down at, at number 25, but I don't think that's necessarily, you know, me not liking his game. I think there are, is some intriguingness about his overall game. He is a guy that, you know, I do think can have a breakout statistical year. You know, I thought he had good to very good overall athleticism and long speed. You know, I don't think he's a guy who's going to be very elusive in terms of, you know, change of direction, cutting ability. He's not going to be a guy that, you know, high points the ball and wins contested catches regularly, but he's got a decent length and catch radius to him. You know, he's got linear speed. So after the catch, you can make things happen linear. I don't think he's going to make people miss based on, you know, sharp cuts and stuff like that. But I think he's got some explosion off the line of scrimmage. He's got some burst and acceleration in his game, you know, and he's going to get an opportunity to be the alpha there at Oklahoma this year. So I do think he's in for probably a big statistical year. It'll be interesting if that can push him up the boards right now. Right now, I think he's more in that five, round five, round six range. If he can maybe, you know, use this season to kind of push the needle and move up a little bit more. If we turn to the Clemson guys, you know, obviously Trevor Lawrence, you know, basically came out and said that this would definitively be his final season in college, which wasn't a surprise. This past week, 22 of 28, 351 yards, you know, a touchdown, also had two rushing touchdowns. You know, Clemson obviously cruised easy. Listen, it's going to be hard-pressed for me to come off of Trevor Lawrence as my number one prospect in the 2021 NFL Draft. I don't see Trey Lance, you know, or Justin Fields taking over that spot. I think Trevor Lawrence literally is the, the prototype if you were going to build a quarterback for today's modern NFL. He's got the size and frame. He's got the athleticism. He's got the rushing ability. He's got the big arm. He can play off structure. He's got a lot of experience. You know, that's the, that's the area where he, 
you know, an NFL team could look at all the games that Trevor Lawrence has started and the big games he's played in by the time his collegiate career ends, and it's significantly more than Fields and Lance. So I think between that and that he checks off every box, I don't see somebody leapfrogging, you know, Trevor Lawrence. I don't think anyone's going to leapfrog him in my rankings. I don't think anyone's going to leapfrog him in terms of the NFL uh, perspective as well. At running back, obviously, Travis Etienne, stunning that he is still in college. I think last year he could have pushed and potentially been, you know, one of the, if not the first running back taken, one of the first handful of running backs taken. I think he would have been gone within the top 40 or 50 picks. This year, I think he has a chance to be the first running back taken. I, you know, I like Najee Harris almost as much, but I give a slight edge to Travis Etienne. I think he's got a shot to be a first round pick in that 20 to 32 range. You know, if not early, early in the second round, he he will hear his name called, uh, you know, provided he stays healthy between now and draft weekend. This past weekend, 17 catches, 102 yards and one touchdown. His stop start acceleration, his burst, you know, his breakaway speed, you know, is really very impressive. Those are his calling cards. You know, that stop start acceleration is something that is rare to see, you know, what he brings to you don't see a lot of players with that type of stop-start acceleration and his game-breaking speed. Keep an eye on Amari Rogers, wide receiver. He's 5'10", 210 this past week, five catches for 90 yards as a senior. You know, he's been kind of waiting in the wings, and now he's going to get an opportunity. You know, Justin Ross not playing due to injury. You know, he's going to get an opportunity, and it'll be interesting to kind of see if he can make some noise this year and be a guy that is not really, you know, being talked about much right now. You know, maybe a late-round UDFA type prospect. Could he use the spotlight of maybe potentially being their number one wide receiver this year to kind of catapult himself up the draft boards a little bit, you know, and maybe push his way into an earlier date type prospect? You know, I think it'll be interesting to see, you know, some of these guys in Clemson have to kind of wait it out you know, and Rodgers looks like he's now in position to potentially, you know, really reap the benefits of the early, you know, entrance into the NFL draft, Justin Ross getting injured, you know, and Rodgers, you know, moving up the depth chart and getting his opportunity now. If we take this over to Texas, four players I want to talk about, you know, for Texas, obviously they had an easy 59-3 win over UTEP. Sam Ellinger, you know, who right now in my quarterback rankings sits at number nine, but I think there's some, you know, upward mobility. I think he can push his way into, you know, the five, six, seven range for sure. Uh, you know, even now as I'm thinking about it, I think I'd probably put him at number eight right now. I'm even going to move him, you know, up in real time as I'm doing this. I think he's, I think he would probably belong at number eight right now. And I do think, Listen, I've, I've made the Tebow comp in the past, and I do think in terms of his size, his frame, his physicality, his leadership, you know, I do see a lot of similarities there. You know, this past week, 426 yards and five touchdowns. I think he's going to put up a monster statistical season. It'll be interesting to see, you know, what, is it, what does that do in terms of the draft narrative? Because I do think that is to be determined. I think he deserves to go, you know, in round four, and, you know, a guy that if he has a great year, maybe can push his way into round three. If at times in big games he struggles, you know, maybe pushes down the board a little bit. But the size, the frame, the athleticism, you know, the ability to make plays on the run and playoff structure a little bit. I think I think it's intriguing, the skill set that he offers. So I'll be following him closely, you know, in, in a game, again, not a tough game. But you see Sam Ellinger take care of business in this game like he did. 
And you kind of think to yourself, well, that's kind of what Brock Purdy should have been doing also, you know, and Brock Purdy really struggled and things like that, you know, stand out in terms of evaluators, evaluators, you know, so that's something to follow closely here. At running back, Keontae Ingram, he was a guy that I was very high on. I had him at number six in my running back rankings, you know, before the season started, you know, probably higher than than most, but I really liked his overall game. But in this game, he only needed to rush for nine yards. I only had to rush nine times for 44 yards. So I think it's hard to get a true determination. You know, they won the game so handedly. I'm interested to see when Texas is in a competitive game, what Keontae Ingram's, you know, touch count looks like in terms of carries, opportunities, you know, catches out of the backfield, because I do think he's got three down potential. I like his athleticism and his quickness and his change of direction and elusiveness for a man his size. So he's someone I'm really excited to kind of watch, you know, in a game that Texas is kind of, you know, being pushed a little bit what exactly Keontae Ingram looks like and what his role is for the Longhorns this year. At the wide receiver position, Tariq Black, you know, obviously formerly of Michigan, you know, he hits the ground running five catches, 80 yards and a touchdown. We're talking about a big, big time former recruit. Obviously in Michigan, he can never get it going. The quarterback and the offensive play calling did him no favors. So it's going to be really fascinating to kind of see how he looks. If he has a big time statistical year, you know, I think he might get a free pass a little bit for his time at Michigan, you know, just based on how little production the Michigan wide receivers and how poor the the pass offense and some of the play calling was at times. If he has a big year here, he could really see because NFL teams and evaluators don't forget about big time recruits and they know who it is. And sometimes they think a change of scenery could be a big thing. If black has a big time year this year, he could be a guy that's right now on the day free radar and he can see himself really, you know, push up the boards right now because based on just his Michigan film, you know, I had him down there, you know, towards the bottom of my 30 wide receivers. I wrecked, you know, I put him in because I, I still didn't want to give up on his talent. So I watched him and I, and I put him in the scouting notebook again, but he's a guy on natural talent that if he starts to play, you know, pr- productively, I think he can really start to move up boards and potentially see himself in a position to go earlier than right now, you know, people envision for him. His teammate, Brendan Eagles, who I had at number 21 on my rankings, but even his thing, that 21 is based on a lot of Debbie hype and a lot of, you know, pedigree in terms of his you know, recruitment and how talented of a prospect he is this past week, one catch 35 yards and one touchdown, you know, showing, you know, the ability to make big plays. Also another massive, you know, guy with great length, size, frame, physicality, wins, contested catches. It's going to be interesting to see Tariq Black and Brendan Eagles and what kind of production. I think both of them could be in for big years statistically, you know, in a Texas offense that I expect to be able to put up points pretty regularly. So those Texas guys are going to be really interesting to kind of follow year round. If we take this to the Debbie slam and talk about a couple underclassmen to keep our eyes on, uh, you know, we talked about the wide receivers before from UNC, but, you know, Sam Howell is going to be a guy that a year from now, we're talking about him, I think the same way that right now we're talking about, you know, the top quarterbacks. I'm not saying he's going to be as highly regarded as Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, or even Trey Lance, but I do think he's going to be in position to be one of the top quarterback prospects, a first round talent, you know, a year from now. So this past week, 25 of 34, 298 yards, a touchdown, two interceptions. 
I'm interested to kind of see him all year and and see how he looks. You know, I've, I haven't dug into a lot of film on him because he's not draft eligible, but I've seen enough of him to to think that I'm intrigued by his skill set. I want to see him continue to refine his game at times. But Sam Howell is a guy who I think is going to be a big time, you know, collegiate prospect and is very much on the radar as one of the top quarterbacks for the, the next year's draft, the 2022 NFL draft. So keep an eye on Sam Howell uh, and his upside. Another quarterback I want to talk about is Spencer uh, Rattler out of Oklahoma. He is a guy who, you know, was a big time recruit when he came out. He's a guy, very intriguing. I had him as number six in terms of my Debbie quarterback rankings. You know, obviously I had the big three from this year at the top, Sam Howell, who I just talked about, you know, and then kind of, I had Jamie Newman, who I was very intrigued by, but obviously he's decided to opt out now. And then I had Spencer Rattler and you put him in that scheme with Lincoln Riley. I think he's going to have a really big statistical year. Uh, So it's going to be interesting to kind of see what type of stats Spencer Rattler puts up, you know, and, and start to hear, you know, what NFL teams think of him, you know, down the line. Is he another one of those quarterbacks from Oklahoma that can see his stock really, really rise? He was already a big time, like I said, recruit and quarterback prospect coming into college. And now he's in the perfect scheme for his talents to put up monster statistical numbers. And I think he will do that. I talked about Charleston Rambo before, who's probably going to be one of his top wide receivers this year they'll probably be very productive. And then also I mentioned Clemson wide receiver before Amari Rogers, you know, but again, another guy who's going to really reap the benefits of getting more opportunities, you know, due to T Higgins going to the NFL, due to Justin Ross's unfortunate injury is Joseph Nagata, very big time recruit a couple of years ago. This, you know, 6'3", 205. He's another prototype as a traditional X wide receiver out on the, on the outside this past week, three catches for 48 yards. But I kind of expect his role to continue to evolve and grow as this year goes on. And he could easily, you know, uh, morph into the number one option there for Clemson as the year goes on and be their, their number one wide receiving threat. So he's another guy that I'm keeping close eyes to, uh, in the Debbie slant. If we take a look at the upcoming week three, really only one thing I wanted to talk about, and the main game that I'm going to have my eyes on this week is number 17 Miami versus number 18 Louisville. And what has me intrigued about this game is, I've already talked about Brevin Jordan, but on the Louisville side, I didn't talk about their previous game, but there's four guys here who I think are worthy of talking about. You have the two wide receivers, Des Fitzpatrick has been a favorite of Matt and I's for quite some time. Matt, even more than me. This past week, four catches, 110 yards, and one touchdown. I like his inside-outside versatility. I love his play strength. You know, I think he's a good route runner. You know, I think his best year was with Lamar Jackson, and the Louisville has kind of went through this little bit of a transformation since Lamar left. But good first game for Des Fitzpatrick. Interested to see how he performs against Miami. 2-2 Atwell, seven catches, 78 yards. He's another explosive big Big play threat, you know, right now he sits in terms of my draft eligible rankings, you know, as my number 14 wide receiver just behind Tylen Wallace and ahead of Daz Newsom out of UNC, who I talked about before, and Jamon Osborne out of Texas A&M. Big play threat, great after the catch, 
you know, great agility, elusiveness, change of direction, cutting ability. He's a weapon anytime he has the ball in open space. Can get vertical as well. Tutu Atwell, very intriguing prospect. Could add a lot of speed and dynamic playmaking ability to an NFL roster. Javian Hawkins, he's basically the running back version of what I just talked about for Tutu Atwell. Javian Hawkins, you know, 19 carries, 71 yards. You know, right now for me, he's number 13 on my running back board. You know, I have him grouped with guys like Puka Williams out of Kansas and Gerard Patterson out of Buffalo. But Hawkins is another guy, not going to be a guy who's going to be a bell cow at the NFL level, but a change of pace type guy who's a, who's a threat anytime he touches the ball in open space. So he's a guy who could be an electric playmaker at the next level in terms of getting him the ball in open space. And then uh, Michele Cunningham, the quarterback with 19 of 34, 343 yards, three touchdowns in his last game. Interested to see against the step up in competition against Miami, how he looks. So that's going to be something that I'm following closely. Let's round out tonight's episode with the NFL rookie report for week one of the NFL season. This I will go by positions. Let's start the quarterback position. Only one rookie got on the field this week, and that was Joe Burrow. 16-13 loss. He drove them down the field at the end of the game. Had an opportunity to try to win the game. They couldn't do it. They kicked themselves for a field goal, and unfortunately, the, the field goal kicker missed, or that game would have went into overtime. 23 of 36, 193 yards and an interception. Eight for 46 yards rushing and a touchdown. Listen, this game I think was filled with plenty of concerns in terms of a rookie quarterback making his first start without any preseason games. He had his rookie mistakes. He had, you know, some bad plays. He had some bad reads, you know, but on the flip side, he also showed moments that you can tell that he's going to rejuvenate that whole Bengals franchise and he's going to rejuvenate, you know, when we get fans in the stadium, he's going to rejuvenate the fan base. He's a guy that even down the last drive of the game for as much as he had inconsistent moments throughout the game, he drove them down the field and put him an opportunity to win the game or get it to overtime at the end. And I think he's going to be one of those guys that is very comfortable with the pressure that's going to be put on him. And I think he's only going to continue to get better and better as he gets more reps and more experience. I think uh, he could have been a guy that could have hit the ground running a little bit better if there was preseason, more tr- more traditional training camp. But I do think as the year goes on, we're going to see Barrow look more and more comfortable. He's still playing with a team that has a lot of flaws. But I do think Burrow, you know, listen, it wasn't an amazing week one performance, but I think there were glimpses of why you should be so excited if you are a Bengals fan with Joe Burrow. At the running back position, a lot of guys to talk about. Obviously, last Thursday night, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire gets it going for the Kansas City Chiefs. 138 yards rushing and a touchdown, handled a big workload, 25 carries. Didn't do anything in the passing game, but listen, that's going to come. We know that's going to come. That's Clyde Edwards-Hilaire's, you know, bread and butter is going to be an impact in their receiving game. He reminds so much of, you know, whether you want to say Brian Westbrook, Ray Rice, you know, Maurice Jones-Drew, a blend of them together is who he, you know, plays like in terms of his rushing style, his ability to pinball off defenders, his ability, you know, to run low to the ground. He's going to be a really... In that offense, the the sky is the limit in terms of his production, you know, for statistically and for fantasy. Jonathan Taylor, unfortunate news, you know, Marlon Mack torn Achilles tendon out the season. You know, that puts Jonathan Taylor in the bell cow role now as the lead guy. 
this past week, nine carries for 22 yards, but showed something in the passing game. And listen, I think he's capable. I just don't think that's going to be something he's asked to do a lot. I understand he had six for 67. I understand Phillip Rivers loves to check down. I'm not sure how many more six for 67 games you're going to get. I think you might get three, four catches from him. I would be surprised if you get too many more six for 67. He's now the lead guy. Naheem Hines is going to be used in a lot of ways too. I think Naheem Hines is on his way to an Austin Eckler types, you know, season from a couple years ago, you know, or Tariq Cohen type season from a couple years ago. Uh, so I do think Jonathan Taylor will share the workload with Naheem Hines, but, but rushing wise, Jonathan Taylor is going to be the guy who gets a lot of work. You know, so I think right now anybody that took him in any type of setting has got to be excited about the, the thought of him immediately becoming the guy with the injury due to Marlon Mack. J.K. Dobbins was in much more of a timeshare than I thought. I thought it was going to take some time for him to kind of, you know, play alongside Mark Ingram as much as he did. But in this game, seven carries, 22 yards, and he happened to come on the field twice when they were inside the 10-yard line, and both times he scored touchdowns. He adds just another explosive weapon to that Baltimore backfield. You can see his quickness. You can see his lateral movement skills. You can see his agility and change of direction. He adds something different to that backfield than Mark Ingram can. I just think it's sooner rather than later. He's going to start busting some big plays and you're going to start to see, and listen, Mark Ingram's going to be involved all year, but I think J.K. Dobbins is going to push himself into fantasy relevance much sooner than even I thought, and I was someone who was a huge Dobbins fan. DeAndre Swift, mixed bag. Three carries, eight yards, and a touchdown. Scored one touchdown early. Three catches for 15 yards in the pass game, but then dropped a wide open, I think it was like 20 or 25-yard touchdown pass that would have won the game for the Lions. I think more concerning is the presence of Adrian Peterson, who led the Lions with like 14 or 15 carries. on Johnson still in the mix with seven or eight carries. So it's going to be a little bit of a jumbled backfield right now. You know, Swift could still be fantasy relevant if he continues, you know, to get looks in terms of the passing game. And we might need some time before he, you know, becomes the lead guy in terms of carries and rushes as well. A couple other running backs. Uh, Cam Akers had 15 total touches, 14 rushes for 39 yards and one catch for four yards. But Malcolm Brown was the, was the start of the backfield for the Rams. So it'll be interesting to kind of see how long uh, that lasts for. If Brown continues to play well, you know, Akers might be very much in a timeshare to kind of start this season, uh, even with Darrell Henderson right now a distant third. Zach Moss was in a probably 60-40 timeshare with Devin Singletary. He did he was in on the field inside the 5 and 10 yard line, which was something that I thought was going to happen, which made me very concerned about Devin Singletary shares. Moss struggled rushing with only 9 carries for 11 yards, but did score a touchdown and have three catches for 16 yards receiving. Listen, if he's going to be a guy who gets 10 to 12 touches a week, gets a few catches, ends the goal line back, you know, even though we know Josh Allen's the real goal line back, if Moss is on the field, he's going to have some flex, you know, RB3, RB4 type value this year with some spiked RB2 weeks in there, you know, when he gets into the end zone. So it's going to be interesting. They also threw the ball a lot Buffalo this week. I think that'll kind of correct itself a little bit more times than not. I think they'll look to run the ball more in, in games that they're comfortably leading. I think we could see a lot of Zach Moss down the stretch. Two other running backs, Joshua Kelly, uh, Justin Jackson got injured, and, and Joshua Kelly took advantage of it. 12 carries, 60 yards, and one touchdown. Listen, for as good as Austin Eckler is, 
He's not going to be a guy that can carry the ball 20 to 25 times every single game. There was always room for another running back to be a flex or RB3-4 type, and Kelly might be get an opportunity to be that guy. 12 carries, 60 yards, and a touchdown look good too. He's not a traditional power back, but in terms of what they have in the Chargers, he probably brings the most power to that backfield. But he does have some elusiveness, agility. He's got some speed, athleticism to him. Also can catch the football if asked upon. And then Antonio Gibson, you know, obviously the Redskins kind of cleaned house in their backfield. There's a couple of veterans there and J.D. McKissick, you know, and Peyton Barber. But Antonio Gibson had 11 touches, nine carries for 36 yards, two catches for eight yards. I think there's better production ahead. To be honest with you, the slow game by him, I would use this as an opportunity to try to go aggressively, try to get him in redraft and dynasty leagues. You know, if people are a little bit concerned about the amount of carries that Peyton Barber had, you know, Gibson not getting as many touches. It was week one. This is a guy who's never been a full-time running back. I think teams and offenses will get more creative. I expect Gibson to probably eventually settle in in that, you know, 12 to 14 touches, you know, most weeks. And if he starts getting, you know, three to four catches and then they're using him in space in terms of, his rushes as well. I think he can be a, a, a RB2 three type player this year in PPR leagues. And rounding it out at the wide receiver position, I'm only going to talk about a handful of them because there's so many I could talk about every single week. Uh, Jerry Judy, you know, four catches, 56 yards, was asked to be the number one with Cortland Sun injured this week. You know, his route running, I've, I've gone on record as saying it's one of the best I've ever scouted in terms of here at Saturday to Sunday over the last five years. I think his route running is as good as any wide receiver that we have followed and watched uh, since we've been doing Saturday to Sunday. He did have two drops, though. That's something he's got to clean up. Maybe it was butterflies, you know, you know, bad technique, whatever it is. I don't think drops are going to be something that ling- that's an issue with Jerry Judy. But to me, his route running is, is what intrigues me. His separation quickness, his ability to get in and out of breaks so smoothly and cleanly. I think he's going to be a really special player. C.D. Lamb, what stood out about me, not, was not just the five catches for 59 yards, but it was the amount of snaps he played. You know, I do think, especially now with Blake Jarwin out the year with a torn ACL, you know, I think they're, they're you're going to see C.D. Lamb on the field for 75 to 85% of the game, I think. I, I do honestly believe he's going to be on the field for a ton of plays that I think he could have even more production uh, than I thought. And I already thought he could be the best rookie wide receiver statistic-wise. But I think, you know, you put him in that offense with the attention that, you know, Cooper and Gallup get and Ruggs playing from inside the slot, I think he's going to have even a better statistical year than I thought originally. Jalen Rager thought he was going to miss some time, but he ended up playing, you know, probably about half the snaps. He had one big catch for 55 yards. I think you're only going to see him become more and more involved. And I think by the end of this year, he's going to take over as the number one wide receiver for the Eagles. I'm not going to go pass catcher because it could be Ertz and Goddard, who could be the number one, you know, 1A, 1B, number one, number two in terms of pass catchers there. But I do think Rager has an opportunity to eventually push his way to the top of the wide receiver pecking order, uh, even above Deshaun Jackson as well. Henry Ruggs, three catches for 55 yards, left the game with an injury and then came back. What I thought was intriguing was right off the bat, you sort of Raiders are planning on getting him the ball in a lot of different ways. And I'm intrigued to kind of see what he can do, you know, 
at Alabama, there were so many other wide receivers there. They had such a great running game that I don't even know if we really got to see the full skill set that Henry Ruggs possesses. I think we're going to get that opportunity and we're going to see him touch the ball in a variety of ways. We're going to see him, you know, get vertical. We're going to see him do a lot of short underneath stuff. You're going to see him in jet sweeps and end the rounds and utilize that speed. So Henry Ruggs, very intrigued by what I saw prior to his injury. Excited to see him get back on the field. And then last wide receiver I'm going to talk about uh, for this week is LaVisca Chenault. He played a lot more in week one than I thought he was. And there is a wide open wide receiver depth chart there after DJ Chark. You know, Kalen Cole got the start, but I think LaVisca Chenault played almost just as many snaps. I think LaVisca Chenault's going to push his way into be that number two wide receiver. There's no reason for him not to play a ton of snaps this year. He's a guy that's been flying under the radar. He had a down final collegiate season, battled injuries, but he was a guy that before the season last year was being talked about as the number one wide receiver, maybe in the class. You know, he was definitely in the conversation as a top, you know, three, four, top five wide receiver. Three catches, 37 yards and one touchdown, two rushes for 10 yards, ran a wildcat. They're going to use him in a variety of ways. I think he's this year's Debo Samuel, but on a team that doesn't have Super Bowl aspirations, I think there's a possibility he gets force-fed a lot of touches from early in the year in a variety of different ways to get him the ball. Get him the ball, you know, as a wildcat quarterback. Get him the ball on those rushes, on those jet sweeps, end the round, you know, little shuttle passes. Get him screens, slants, and then, but he also has got the size and physicality to be a real weapon in the open field. Break tackles, run through contact. There's a lot to like about LaVisca Chenault's game. You know, he'd be a guy that, at some point, if he has, you know, more like two for th- 20, three for 30 games, I think I would try to aggressively buy him because I think he is a guy that could really be impactful the second half of the year and could be a guy that, you know, we're talking about, man, I can't believe where he was going in dynasty rookie drafts. I can't believe the Jaguars got him where they got him. And he could be a guy that can quickly make people regret passing on him. Uh, you know, for the likes of Keyshawn Vaughn's and rookie drafts and AJ Dillon's and stuff like that. You know, anytime he was there in the mid to late second round and I didn't have a pick, I tried to aggressively get to a pick, trade up, move around to try to get in position to draft LaVisca Chenault. I was really intrigued by him. And I think this was a good start for him in terms of what he might be able to do at the next level. So there it is, guys. The NFL rookie report for week one. Uh, the tail of the tape, you know, looking at one matchup this week with a lot of different, you know, prospects that I have my eyes on. And then obviously the NFL draft report, uh, you know, the first one of the year and a Devi, you know, and the Devi slant as well, where we take a look at some prospects that really intrigue us from the offensive side of the ball in terms of the skill players that we think are going to be guys that you should be really focused in on in terms of your Devi leagues really focus in on terms of their NFL draft prospects as well. So guys, again, please get over to the website, check out, you know, once it launches the new set of notebooks, it is the best way to support the show. Uh, If you can, you know, purchase the notebooks right now, please, wherever you listen to the podcast, rate, review, subscribe, it really does help us tremendously. uh, And we need more of that, to be honest with you. Uh, you know, so if you, if you get that opportunity, please get over wherever you listen to you, the podcast, rate, review, subscribe. That helps us out a lot as well. So on behalf of Matt, on behalf of our sound and tech engineer, David Nakano and myself, 
Thank you for joining me. And I look forward next time taking you from Saturday to Sunday.